Welcome to episode 33 and hold on your damn hats because today we are joined by the one and only Precious Williams, 13-time elevator pitch champion and author of Bad Bitches and Power Pitches. You may know Precious from her appearance on Shark Tank Season 8 or her numerous appearances on CNN, Fox Business News, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and so many more. I do not need to tell you that having the ability to pitch your idea, product, presentation, or yourself is what will allow you to slay the competition. Stay tuned to hear from the best of the best. This interview and its contents are sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, and PR communications agency with team members in Boston, LA, Miami, and New York City. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. I can't remember exactly how I discovered Precious Williams, but what I can say is that I immediately knew I wanted this woman in my life and on this podcast. Has that ever happened to you? When you immediately feel connected to someone because of their personality and their presence, even though you've never met them. As can happen once you become aware of a person, you suddenly start seeing that person everywhere. And I discovered that Precious and I had a mutual connection. My friend, Cleone Mainville, who you might remember from episode four, How to Diversify Your Network. I reached out to Cleone and begged for an introduction. Side note here, this is the power of networking and asking for strategic introductions from the people that you know. When Cleone connected us via LinkedIn, Precious wrote right back and said, Good afternoon, queen. Shall we schedule a chat? And I just about fell off my chair. Precious Williams had called me queen. In preparation for this interview, I did what I always do, exhaustive research into my guest and the topic at hand. This is when I began to realize that there is more, so much more that connects me to Precious and her story than I could have ever imagined. You stand us side by side and you wonder what Precious and Julie could possibly have in common. But if you dare to lift the lid and peek inside, you will discover that our pasts mirror each other in a number of ways, including having abusive mothers, drug addicted fathers. For a portion of our lives, we were both raised by our grandmothers. We were both named after the women in our family, Precious being named after her grandmother and me having been named after my Aunt Julie and my great-grandmother Julie. All of those similarities would have been enough, but when I discovered that Precious refers to herself as the black sheep of success in her family, I almost lost my breath. I've always described myself as the black sheep of my family because I believed that I deserved more. I believed that education was my way out. I believed that what other people thought of me wasn't allowed to determine what I was allowed to think of me. That where you come from doesn't determine where you're allowed to go, the seat you can take, and the table you sit at. So yes, this podcast will be about bad bitches slaying the competition with perfect pitches, but it will also be about vulnerability, telling your story, painting a picture for your audience that is a real story, not the photoshopped one, and the power of authentic connection. Precious Williams. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you, obviously. I'm so excited to have you. Let's get right into it. Tell us this journey of how you became a pitch master, how you won 13 elevator pitch competitions. How did you discover that within yourself? Tell us about that. You know, I'll make a long story very, very short. Listen, I'm a former attorney. 
I wanted to start a lingerie company for women who had a little bit more meat on their bones called Curvy Girls Lingerie. The only reason I even wanted to start that is because I was dating a very famous Hollywood actor at 327 pounds. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. And so, you know, trying to tell people I want to start this company, no one believed in me, which meant I got no money. I didn't come from a family with money. I didn't come from a community with money. And I went to the New York Public Library at 34th and Madison Civil, science industry, business and law. And I met a woman who said, you know, she won $50,000 in prize money for pitching. And I listened to her pitch and I was like, I'd smoke you. I'd smoke and I knew you. it. You know, and then, you know, I had negative $400 in my bank account. You know, I got this, this thing in the mail from Crane Small Business and they were having small business awards. And like, God, just get me together. Like, you need to go. I ain't got the money. Get a credit card. I got a credit card, puts $300 ticket price on the card. And so I put on my best Calvin Klein dress, three pairs of shapewear, walked into that event, felt so uncomfortable. And I did feel out of place, um, but I did see CNBC and MSNBC. And, you know, me and God had that come to Jesus moment. You know, he's like, yo, MSNBC, you, you can't be on CNBC. You haven't stolen any money. Okay, no American greed. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Walked up to the producers with the best swagger a 327 pound size 28 woman could have. They were all laughing and joking and talking. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm queen of interrupting. I don't have no problem with interrupting people. No problem. And so, <laughs> Todd, and they're looking at me like, who is this chick? Who are you? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. My name is Precious Williams and I'm the proud founder and CEO of Curvy Girls Lingerie. We're the ultimate shopping experience for full-figured divas and plus-size fashionistas. You can call me the female MacGyver of business because I what? Always deliver. When I tell you the look on their faces was like, they started laughing at me. And I'm thinking, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. And then they, I guess they could see the look on my face. They were like, no, 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 that was really good. Like you have confidence like that. And they were like, have you heard my show Elevator Pitch? Now, you know I hadn't, but when you're in Rome, you do as Romans do. Of course, great show. And you're like, we're gonna bring the host over to talk to you. We think you'd be great for the show. It's really gonna go down like this? Like, I, I, like for real, in real time. So JJ Rainberg is coming up to me and I'm like, bladder getting real full, not understanding what I'm going to say, mouth getting dry. She gets, uh, she gets to the, she gets uh, awarded an award. So she goes on stage and then her booking producer comes to me, a tall, elegant black woman. She says, oh, I heard of you, Precious Williams. The threat was in the eyes. Give me your elevator pitch. I'm going to tell y'all right now, it's the first and only time I never had a pitch. And I just made it up on the spot. She was like, oh, you're good. You can be on the show. If, if I could have said Jigga Who, Jigga What back at the time, <laughs> I would have, but I had glasses on and it was tears in my eyes. She gave me her business card. And she said, she said, oh, can I have your business card? Now y'all know I had negative $40 in my bank account. I ain't had no business cards. Matter of fact, my company wasn't even real. Yeah. I talked about a company that did not exist on paper. And so I said, oh, well, you know, I've been here all night. I ran out of cards. Like I ran out of cards like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she gave me her card. I didn't know how I got home because I don't even know how I got there. I had no money. But I remember emailing her. They were calling me and they were like, hey, we're looking for your website. You know, we ain't had no website. <laughs> But I didn't want them to know that. Because, oh, we're going through a rebranding process at this point. So by the time you have us on the show, we'll be ready. This is what I learned from men. Because men men have bluff games. Yes. Especially yes. men who look nothing like me. They have, they have bluff games. They like, they'll tell you. They might be homeless. And they're sitting there like, I'm the CEO of such and such. And you be believing that. Yep. And so they believe me. 
And so my friends and I put together the jankiest website in history. I'm, I hope to God it never shows up on, 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 on like the internet. It's probably somewhere. Please don't look at it. It, it, was, okay. it was tough and dangerous. But when I went and I pitched on the show, 54 seconds, I stood on my ex and in 54 seconds it was over. And when my hearing came back, because I think I just kind of lost my mind, like, I don't believe this is happening. I remember the host, JJ Remick said, that was one of the best pitches I've ever heard in the history of this show. And that's a memory I'll treasure because so many people said it would never happen. And it literally happened live. And I walked away with $500,000. And so when I tell you all pitching, you know, people think of like, what's the perfect pitch? I really want people to embody their authenticity and their transparency. I was 327 pounds. I couldn't just say big girls need love too. I couldn't just say, you know, fat girls need some, you know, I had to say full figure divas and plus size fashionistas. And so if you take nothing else from my story, when you change your language, you change the game. If you speak about yourself as just the greatest in the world, be on your Kanye. You can't tell Kanye he ain't the best. I know he's going through a divorce, all of, like all of that. But Kanye will never let you call him just a rapper. You don't have to believe him. He believes in him. And that's how I am. I believed in myself enough to bluff my way on the national television and kill it. And then to get the recognition and then to go on to be on Shark Tank and you know, shows around the world, you know, becoming more of an international professional speaker, a corporate trainer at some of the biggest companies in the world. That's like that hood dream you don't really hear about, right? I came from the hood and now I live in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. And I was told I would never make it here. I've been here a long time. I have an English degree I'm from Spelman College. I have a law degree from Rutgers. I'm very proud of both. But at the same time, none of that is why I'm here. I'm here because no matter what bricks were thrown at me, no matter how many mistakes I've made, when it comes, when it's showtime, baby, it's Broadway. I don't care if I'm getting on an elevator and Oprah's there. I ain't afraid. I'm like, listen, if I don't say something, I'm going to smack myself up. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say something. I don't care if it comes out wrong or right. Seize the opportunity. Put yourself out there. Answer the question that most people won't ask you. Why you? Why should I hire you? Why should I buy from you? Why should I buy your book? What's so special about you? And, and be ready in, on, on, at the drop of a dime. When I say I'm the killer pitch master, it's because I slay all competition. I don't go into this to play. I go into this to straight dominate. I'm a black woman. I'm black on both sides. When I walk into a room, I want my presence and energy to precede me. So you know power is coming. I learned that from always being told no and still moving up. And so that's... That's the short story in a nutshell, but that's how I started pitching. That's how I became a 13 time champion because they kept telling me you need to enter pitch competitions. And I did. And even being at Harvard, Yale, Stanford and Columbia people, cool tech companies, international companies, all I had was a lingerie company and we weren't that great technology wise. So you can look at what you don't have or you can make the most of what you do. Bloom where you're planted. That's how I did it. Tell me the difference between a pitch and a perfect pitch. Mm. Girl, I love perfect pitch, but killer is so much better. than. Okay, all right, killer. When you think of a pitch, you're answering the most basic questions. Number one, who you are. Which, number two, who, what you do. Number three, who you serve, your target market. Number four, what's your secret sauce? What do you bring to the table? And number five, a powerful call to action. Most people do that when they're at networking events, but they do it in such a way where it's so freaking boring. Yes. Yeah. So you want to take it into killer pitch mode. Mm -hmm. My greatest tips are number one, you have to be a master storyteller. Be a master storyteller. Like no matter how short or long, give them something to dress up your facts, figures, and statistics. Some people just think like if you ever watch Shark Tank and they just go into, yeah, it's a 
$20 billion a year and should we get 1.3%? That's cute. That's cute. Take it to the next level. If they're going to bet on the horse or the jockey, they're always going to bet on the jockey. The horse is irrelevant. <clears throat> Number two, be bold and unexpected. It's like when I go into networking events and I'm like, ladies, ladies, they're like, <laughs> raise your hands if you want to be a bad bitch with the power pitch. You know, even men will raise their hand. I'm like, I know what I said. <laughs> Fellas, raise your hands if you want to be a bad man with a master pitch. Like, well, then you've come to the right place. My name is Precious Williams, and I'm the proud founder and CEO of Perfect Pitches by Precious. And I literally teach the art and science, the most killer elevator pitches, media pitches, investor pitches, speaker pitches, and interview pitches. Now, you don't have to believe me, but as a 13-time national elevator pitch champion, I can show you how to get those investor dollars. Where them dollars at? Where them dollars at? If you're tired of speaking for free, I'm going to show you how to be booked, busy, and paid as a speaker. If you're going out for that perfect job and you want to know what to say in the interview to really knock their socks off, come see me. If you are looking for media attention and you ain't got no budget or a little budget, come see me because I'll show you how I did all of this with no money. And finally, if you just want to stand out in a crowded marketplace, I'll show you how to set your pitch on fire. Again, I am the killer pitch master. My name is Precious Williams. The name of my company is Perfect Pitches by Precious. Thank you. So really quick or whatever, what you hear in there? You, you heard all the basics, but you also heard I'm a 13 time national champion, which tells you what? I didn't study this in a book. Mm -hmm. I in your shoes and did it. What did you also hear? If you're looking for media attention, mm, so she, okay, she know that. Oh, interview, I'm a, I'm a world-class master communicator. So it doesn't matter what pitch you come at me. Some people specialize in one time. I, I've done them all and I can show you how to do it. So be bold and unexpected. Call people out. You know, look them in the eye. You can ask a question, a startling, throw out a startling statistic or a quote. It's going to always, you want to interrupt the pattern that people are used to. My name is this and this is what I do. Nobody want to hear that. That has nothing to do with what I got. If I got a hole in the wall, I don't care what your name, name of your company. What, what can you do? <laughs> I can make this happen. And, and address what is their challenge? What is the challenge that most people have in, in, your target, in your target market? What is the challenge that they have? And finally, why should they hire you? Why should they book you? Why should they come to you? Why should they buy your book, your business, your brand, your book, your product or service? Why? Number four, re realize that you have a secret weapon that most people don't know they have. I love this. Some people say confidence. Some people say, I'm a people person. Let me tell you something. That's cute. That's a bop. Let me show you how we slay. So when you think about your secret weapon, it's the things that people tell you are all that's wrong with you, right? Your perceived flaws, perceived, notice I had in quotes, your perceived flaws are your secret weapon. Why? They never see you coming. When they first see you, they've already dismissed you. Mm -hmm. This is where, remember, you've been preparing for them. They don't know you. They don't know how you move. They have you in a box. Every time I stood on stage before people got to know my name, you said, like, oh, she's fast. She's going to talk about cupcakes. <laughs> because that's what you think all I can talk about is cupcakes. If I told you, told you about I was having a red hot love affair with a famous Hollywood actor, what would you say? <laughs> oh, it's not possible. The perfect pitch, the killer pitch will get you anything. So I'm telling you. The ageism, racism, sexism, all of that, all the things that they say are wrong with you, use them to your advantage. Because remember, we've always grown up studying other people who've always seen the habit or they're always photographed or always put before us.
We know their moves. They don't know how we move. And that's why I think it was a gift that I was homeless. I think it was a gift that I was abused. I think it was a gift that I was disrespected because I learned how to grow a thicker skin. And also, because when I walk down the street, no one can see that I have a law degree. No one can see that I have an English degree. No one can see that I'm an international professional speaker. I'm a corporate trainer. Yeah, your CV isn't written on you. My CV isn't isn't written on me. And most people of color, most women, it's just not, right? And so, because I'm already been downgraded in your eyes, everything I, everything I do is going to shock and awe you. So, take that as your secret weapon and use it every freaking day. I speak to a lot of emerging leaders, recent grads, college and university students, and a lot of them wonder, they say to me, and you know, I'm, I'll be 45 next week. They say to I'm me- I'm 42. Mm-hmm. Look at us. We look good. <laughs> All day, every day. Trust and believe. And what they say about me as a speaker, and, I, and obviously you as well, is we are very much ourselves. Like I'm not going up there trying to teach a college lecture, acting like a sage on a stage. I'm acting just like myself. And I'm going to drop a couple F-bombs and I'm going to swear. But I think some people struggle realizing they're allowed to be who they are. So what is your advice for somebody who's either just graduating or trying to make a name for themselves within their company? And they're afraid that their authenticity, their selves, it's just too much. I hear that all the time. What's your advice for people who are afraid to be their, their awesome selves because they're afraid that people it's going to be taken the wrong way or they're not going to be seen as professional. Okay. So first of all, some of y'all may not like what I have to say, but I got to say it anyway. I'm 42. I don't work for nobody but myself. The truth of the matter is some of us are, are, are square pegs trying to fit into a round hole. Sorry. It, it is what it is. And so some spaces are not meant for you to be in. And it took me years to learn that. I literally, Julie, if you can believe this, I've never had a job longer, last longer than a year in my life. And it's only in my late 30s into my 40s what I realized not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur, just like not everybody's cut out to be in corporate America. If you honestly feel like this isn't a place for you to grow and to truly express yourself, maybe it's not the right environment. And I challenge you to do something that I didn't do until I was late later in life is to seek out the places where you feel you would best be situated. And it doesn't have to deal with the procedure, the name. It doesn't have to deal with this, this, that, and the other. What feels right to you? When I was coming out of law school, going to the big firms was the big deal. And then what you started to hear is people hated their jobs, but they felt because of the money, they had to stay. And so they'll look at me today like, oh man, you actually have fun. I want to enjoy what I do. So you might be a creative in a conservative space. Mm-hmm. Ain't gonna work. And you're gonna regret spending those days there. So work your job, do what you got to do, stack your paper, but be thinking of your exit plan and thinking about where else can you be? Maybe you need to be a copywriter. Maybe you need to be writing poetry. Maybe you need to be in spaces where you can fully express the depth and the breadth of your true talent and not the talent that got you through school. And that's a mistake I think a lot of us make, right, Julie? We went to school for something, somebody paid for our education or maybe we paid for it and now we have to go through it. No, ma'am, no, ma'am, and no, sir. Like, like Julie said, she drops F-bombs. Bad bitches and power pitches is what it is. When people told me no one would buy it, for three years I sat on that. And when the book finally came out, and I was told by one of the biggest speakers in the world, changed the title so he can get it sold to the government. I remember calling my publisher and my book coach, Sharon Monet, and just saying, what do I do? She said, was a book written for him? Yeah. I was like, no. She said, then what are we talking about? Yeah. And then when Forbes wrote about my book, it just, it solidified. I was like, This is who you are. You're trying to listen to people who are gatekeeping the spaces they've never been. So do you. 
Because yeah. at the end of the day, when I stand before those pearly gates and, and God is like, what you do with that talent I gave you? Well, God, this is what I did. I played the hand I was dealt. I came from poverty and abuse, abandonment, torture, mistreatment. And I, I played my hand. I played that. I played a difficult hand and I won. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody will always have have an opinion of you and your your brand and who you are. I remember when my book came out in June. It's called This Shit Works. I had a number of people email me <laughs> give me their opinion on was I using the word shit because I was trying to get a reaction, and I was like, you've oh, clearly never read anything I've written. You've never watched any of my videos. You've never seen me speak. Because if you did, you would know that shit is like my word, like this shit, that shit, do this, don't do this shit, this shit works, this shit doesn't work. And I had one person say to me, well, I think you should change the title. And I said, well, when you write your own book, you can pick the title for your own book. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) I'm like, until you write a book, you don't have the right to tell me what to call mine. And I'm not for everybody. And I know that. I'm not for everybody. I think that was the most freeing thing for me. When I started my own business, I could be who I was. And I could say, if this is not what you like, don't hire me. You know, that was very freeing to finally be who I was. Let's say, let's say you have a great job, but you hate it. Like it's a great position, title, money, all of that. When people know, especially higher ups know that you're beholden to them, you now you really, now they can do things to you mm-hmm. and put you in difficult situations. Where are you going? What you going to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, you going to go somewhere else? They're going to pay you what we pay you? You either suck it up or you can hit the bricks. And so holding it over someone is a very scary, scary place to be. Like entrepreneurship is not easy, but when you have the wrong people around you, when people are trying to make you go for stability, and not for living your best life and going on this adventure of entrepreneurship or the adventure of finding yourself. You will constantly doubt yourself because you're listening to other people who didn't do it and just got complacent where they are. We are killing too many dreams before they even landed. So this is like that true tea we're, we're having when it comes to pitching, when it comes to putting yourself out there. Pitching should be about building up your visibility. It should be about creating your own lane. It should be about you standing tall and proud. And as my girl Kelly Charles Collins with Ladies Who Leverage will tell you, precious is loud, she's wrong, she's in your face, she don't care. And that's why people love her. Yeah. She's gonna keep it a buck. She's not gonna tell you, oh, you know, I took a picture with Les Brown and all of a sudden I had three million followers and da da da. No. I wanted to build my own so I could stand in the legacy till you and I, like we're building legacies for women and even men and young girls and young men. Like you don't have to do the standard. Mm-hmm. You can do the extraordinary. You're going to be hated on, but you're going to be hella respected because you stood your ground. So piggybacking off of something you just said, some people are not going to like what you do. And so what do you do if somebody has like got this dream and they have this side hustle and they want to make it their their job and their career. And how do people deal with people saying, that's never going to work. You shouldn't do that. Why would you give up your job? I, I faced that when I decided to go out on my own. People were like, who's going to hire you? And I was like, I don't know. 
but I'm, this is what I feel I need to do. I had cheerleaders. I certainly had cheerleaders that were like, everybody's going to hire you. And then I had people who were like, mm, why would you give up that cushy job and that paycheck and the life you have? And it was because it was the life I didn't want anymore. I was making money for somebody else and I was under somebody else's thumb. What is your advice to somebody who keeps being told that's not going to work? You shouldn't do that. What are you crazy? Not only is that a good question, one of the things that I did when I was a little girl, even though I was being abused and, and mistreated, is I would watch, they don't play this anywhere, probably Lifetime's Intimate Portrait. I watched Behind the Music. One of the things I started to notice, even as a child, is the people who've ex experienced the greatest success that, that didn't come from a lineage of a, <clears throat> a family that came from money, is that they went through so much heartache to get to where they were. And that was a constant theme throughout their lives, right? So some had to sleep in their cars. Some had to go on stage and get $25 for winning a comedy thing. Some people had to trade in their car for studio time. Some people, they just had to do it. And now they can look back and tell the story with all the reality of the situation. And so for me, what that told me was if I thought it was going to be easy, yeah. I'm wrong. If I thought that I wasn't going to have any impediments, I'm wrong. But when they got to the other side, they were so respected for what they did because it's hard. It's easy to fall back and do what everybody else is doing. Let's keep it a buck, y'all. It's easy to fall back and do what everybody else is doing. I would say to that person, something I wish I had said to myself long ago, nothing is guaranteed. The pandemic has showed you that people lost their jobs like that. That cushy job like that, what are you going to do? What have you been nurturing in your soul? If it's going to be your side hustle, make it your side hustle. Don't, don't, don't feel no way about it being a side hustle until it becomes the main hustle. Yeah. But plot and plan. I'm probably the worst person to ask to because I love living on the edge. That's how I felt alive. So some people go jump out of planes. I was just like, I'm going to leave St. Louis at 18 years old. I'm going to go to college on a full ride. I'm going to go to law school on a full ride. I'm going to do, I got kicked out of Georgetown on a full ride. Uh, I've done all the worst things that I made so many mistakes and look where we are today. And so I would rather listen to those who've been through it. And at the end of the day, you will make mistakes. And that's why having a great support network, like the fact that you did research on me means the world to me. Because if you didn't, all you would think of is that all I do is pitch when that's not all that I do. And so now that you know I do more and you're answering me these questions, it's beautiful to show people the death and breath of my talent and that I started in one and expanded. Did People told me I'm black, no one's ever gonna buy from a black pitch master, da da, da. I'm laughing to the bank. <laughs> so be, you know, invite people into your network who can help you, who can nurture you, who can mold you, Again, I'm a black girl from St. Louis. I didn't grow up with contacts that I have today. I always say that you, people think you have to be born into some well-connected family and they have maybe born in the country, but not here. Yeah. they can make here, and, and We have unique gifts. So like I'm a pitch master. How many people, there are a lot of coaches, business coach, life coach. There are a lot of them. Pitch masters. I don't compete with a lot of people. I really don't. And so utilizing, that's why we say create your own lane. Never did I think that it would put me on platforms with some of the biggest companies in the world, speaking at Microsoft, doing all of these sort of things, uh, Google pitch coach, like what? So 
MasterCard, that is so wonderful. My third book is coming out, Pitching for Profit, The Bad Bitches Playbook to Convert Conversations into Currency. Girl, did you know in pre-sales is number one? No, I didn't know that. Already, it's number one. I, I, I have a, only a couple more questions. And I hear a lot from people about the idea of storyboarding or painting a picture Mm-hmm. or, you know, telling a story around their product or themselves or whatever. And I think a lot of people don't even know where to begin that story. Is there a process to say, this is how you paint a picture? So, yeah, I mean, if you were working with me, of course, right? So when I started Curvy Girls Lingerie, one of the things I wanted people to know is I did my research, it wasn't just like, yeah, it started with me not being able to find things, but also I went into every lingerie store in Manhattan, Brooklyn, at the box. So I went high end, La Perla, uh, Agent Provocateur, all that. Like, I got, I got, kind of got kicked out of all those places because, you know, I was too big to be in there anyway. Um, but I, I really got to understand what type of products are in different places. Like, what's the quality of the fabric? How are people treated and greeted as they come in and stuff like that? What do they have as a selection? Went to the library and I did a lot of deep dive and research into what it was because I wanted to know if this is a problem that I'm experiencing or is there, a, there are over 40 million women size so fortune or larger in the United States just like me and we all want pretty underwear. And it's just too bad the most mainstream lingerie companies are creating products for women our size. So that's why we created Curvy Girls Lingerie and then I could go into like how did we cross six figures in less than six months? We did. Everybody saying it, it couldn't happen yet. When you get kicked out of Victoria's Secret, you get kicked out of all these stores. And it's just like, okay. So because I want to show that this isn't a, my big girl problem, it's a big girl problem for a lot of women. We have to make them the center of attention. We have to make them feel like they're their inner Beyonce and not the funny fat girl on the side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I approached it. It wasn't just, oh, you know, I'm starting my childhood and stuff like that. That may work for some brands. Right. But for me, I have to prove two things. Number one, there is a sizable market. Number two, most women don't know that there is a, a company out there that's just for them. This is 10, 11 years ago. Right. Today, everybody can get whatever they want. Right. But back then, they couldn't. And then I had to dress it up in a way that even if the most corporate like investor type people would understand and it would make sense. So all that sounds challenging and that's what I love. I love being able to dig down into the details and, and showing people this is the particular story you go with. Because you brought up corporate America, 33% of people have been laid off during COVID. So the people mm-hmm. who still have jobs are like, oh, I'm just grateful to have a job and I don't feel like I can ask for a raise. I don't feel like I can ask for additional compensation because I should be grateful that I have a job. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you should be grateful, you know, for having a job. I feel like you should be compensated according to what you are worth and the value that you bring to that company. So if there's somebody who's maybe going into a salary negotiation coming up, people in their office have been laid off and the people above them are trying to make them feel like they should just be grateful for having a job. What is one thing they can go into that meeting with a little bit more confidence to say that they are worth being adequately compensated? There are two things that already came to mind. When I was quitting those positions, I remember them saying, you'll never work in this town again. (laughs) I'm still here. I'm still here. (laughs) So first thing is whatever you put out there, be willing to back it up. 
The outcome I'm, I have no control over. But if I walk in, please, please, sir, may I have more? Like, or walk in like, I'm the shiznick. I'm the shit. This is what I do. This is what I've taken on all of these opportunities. I know people are talking about, you know, I should, you know, all of being grateful. No, you're on this earth for a purpose. You've demonstrated your ability to handle all of this work. And it should be compensated. And having, having things out in black and white on paper, we ain't going to deny none of this. And also be willing to walk away. And I think that's where most people get caught up. But I'm not willing to walk away. You better act like you can. When people think they have you over a barrel, what do you think they yeah. do? They keep going in. Oh, just keep, keep putting work on her. You got kids. You probably have a husband, a wife, somebody, family. Some, somebody's been affected by COVID. People need to bring in a little bit more money now than they did before. And if you're handling everybody else's responsibilities, they'll never hire anyone for those things if you do it all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Precious. You're a serial entrepreneur. Yes. What's next? Well, the launch of my third book, Pitching for Profit, The Bad Bitches Playbook to Convert Conversations into Currency in pre-sales on Amazon. Pre-sales on Amazon. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. And um, I have a conference coming up called Pitch Please, the Ultimate Women's Power Pitch Summit. That's going to be on September 18th, 2021. My MasterCard ad campaign. Plus, I'm also working with uh, a network on a dual-hosted talk show. So <laughs> a lot coming up this year. And so... I'm so grateful that my suicide attempt is that just that an attempt. I live to see the fruit of vision. And as a trailblazer, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to go down that road and get scraped and scuffed up to make sure that the, the woman behind me doesn't have to go through what I went through. Yeah. Precious. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Queen, you call me queen. Thank you so much. We hear like a lot of things. I'm like, nah, you're a queen. (laughs) I was a queen when I was homeless. I just didn't know it. I think there's a lesson there. Just saying beautiful things to people. It makes them feel good. Like when I read that, I was like, she called me, she called me a queen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm, I'm just so grateful that you came. Thank you so much, queen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Damn, I told you. I told you to hold on to your hats. Isn't Precious amazing? She's so amazing that I'm not exactly sure how to unpack and wrap up all the things that we discussed. I guess if I was going to try to condense it to just the main pitch-related takeaways, it would be state the following. Number one, who you are. Number two, what you do. Number three, who you serve. Number four, What's your secret sauce? What do you bring to the table? Number five, a powerful call to action. Maybe the most important of all is to believe in yourself and your abilities and your strengths and your talents, even the hidden ones. Believe in yourself the way Kanye believes in himself. One thing that Precious said in the interview, and she said it so quick that you might have missed it. She said, what have you been nurturing in your soul? So, What is that thing that you have been nurturing in your soul that you aren't sure you can make a career or a business out of, but you can't stop thinking about? What is it that you would love to be doing every day and what is holding you back? Is it your own negative self-talk? Is it the chatter of the people around you telling you it'll never work? Or is it just easier to stay in a stable job even though you absolutely hate it? Maybe you love your job and you're just here for the drinks. That's cool too. 
I'm sure even you were able to pick up on some precious gems throughout our conversation. Hey, before we get to the drink of the week, are you subscribed to this podcast? If you aren't, go on and do that for yourself, okay? Subscribe, rate, and share it with your friends. Okay, here we go. You know, honestly, after celebrating my 45th birthday and then St. Patrick's Day not too long after that, the drink of the week should literally be water. Like, this bitch needs to hydrate. I should be saying you take two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen and combine ingredients and then pound that shit. But I'm not. What I'm going to tell you is that the cocktail of the week is completely inspired by Precious's first pitch, Curvy Girl Lingerie. The cocktail of the week is called Hanky Panky. The Hanky Panky cocktail was invented at the Savoy Hotel somewhere between 1903 and 1923 by Ada Coleman. Coleman, or Coley, as her regulars referred to her as, retired in 1925, but her legacy lived on through this drink, thanks in part to its inclusion in Harry Craddock's famous The Savoy Cocktail Book, printed in 1930. The recipe goes, one and a half ounces of gin, one and a half ounces of sweet vermouth, and two dashes of Frenet Branca. Seriously, this shit is strong. You want no more than two dashes. Be careful. In, in a mixing glass filled with ice, pour the gin, sweet vermouth, and the Frenet Branca. Add a dash of orange juice if you like. I did. Stir well for at least 30 seconds and then strain into a martini glass and then garnish with an orange peel. As a side note, if you don't know what Frenet Branca is, it's a very strong and distinct herbal Italian digestif and it is bitter that's why I say no more than two dashes so there you go have a couple of those a couple hanky pankies get your swerve on and I'll see you next week cheers hey thanks for taking the time to listen be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip and remember you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.